This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your hosts, Chris Spear and Andrew Wilkinson. Each week, we'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. The following episode is one of our COVID Zoom sessions. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on Facebook and Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. This is episode 44 of the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. On this episode, we have Chef Jeremy Law. Jeremy and his wife, Kimberly, run Soco Farm and Food. For the past 10 years, they've been operating Soco on their farm in Wilson, North Carolina. They have decided to move the restaurant to Greenville, North Carolina, and hope to have it open in some manner later this summer. Obviously, the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted this, and we spent a lot of time discussing the future of the restaurant industry. Thanks to this week's sponsors, Tyler Wright, Danny Spletter, Ron Krieger, Cafe Bueno, Little Fig Bake Shop, Maryland Bakes, and the Savory Spoon Catering Company. If you want to support the show, our Venmo name is C-H-E-F-W-O-R-E-S-T-O-S. If you enjoy the show, have ever received a job through one of our referrals, have been a guest, been given complimentary Chefs Without Restaurants swag, or simply want to help, it would be much appreciated. Feel free to let us know if you have any questions. Thanks so much, and have a great weekend. Welcome, everyone. This is Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast, and today I have Jeremy of SoCo Farm and Food. Hey, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Um, honored. So these are, uh, these are interesting times, are they not? Interesting times indeed, and that's what we've really been talking about the past couple of weeks you know, it's given me an opportunity to really kind of fine tune the online interview because previously we were, we did like 25 episodes or so where it was all in person sitting down with people here in Frederick, Maryland. And Andrew and I had long wanted to get into doing, you know, guys like you, people in other parts of the country that we weren't right. able to travel to. And it was just figuring out what worked and how we did it. And now we just kind of had to do it, right? You know, yeah. kind of like we're all doing with our businesses. You're forced to do something that you maybe don't know how to do. And you learn on the fly in the first couple times, you know, the first couple interviews I did were terrible. I tried doing them in my garage. The <laughs> echo was horrible. I have two fridges in there. The compressors would kick on. You get a lot of background noise. Uh, so you, you know, you figure that out. I have a little uh, setup now in my office. So yeah. getting a little better. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I'm guessing the, uh, some of this, the questions that, that you ask people during these times, uh, how has this virus situation affected us? Um, so our restaurant is in Eastern North Carolina. We're about 45 minutes East of Raleigh, um, uh, about an hour and a half, hour and 45 from the coast. Um, we are in the process of moving, which is sort of what informs my answer in that, uh, we dodged a bullet. Um, we were closed before this hit, so we didn't have to deal with, um, furloughs, layoffs, firings, uh, restructuring, pivoting, all the stuff that's kind of defined this experience for everybody else that I know around here. So we were, we were lucky in that regard because we knew we were going to be closed during this time. Cause we have, we've got an 11 acre farm in Wilson. Uh, it's been the home for our restaurant for 10 years. We've had a bed and breakfast. We do weddings, but we're in the process now of kind of transitioning to focusing more on the food. So we have purchased a 125 year old house that we're renovating. It's in Greenville, North Carolina, about half an hour from here. And so we knew this transition was coming. 
Um, despite the fact that we were not open when this hit, uh, it's added a, a ton, a ton more stress. I like to be able to plan at least a couple things out. And right now everything is up in the air and now throw on top of that, the fact that we sort of spontaneously just sold our farm. And so we now have a month to get out. So we're renoing the restaurant. We're moving the restaurant. We're moving our residence. We're buying land. We're building a new residence. We're going to be living in a camper for the foreseeable future. And then what do we anticipate being the new set of circumstances for the restaurant? Uh, am I going to be paying 15 or $20 a pound for flank steak? I don't know. Um, it's a little exciting, but it's a little nerve wracking. I think we've probably been drinking more than normal during this, uh, <laughs> this coronavirus uh, pandemic, but I'm still really excited, but there are a ton of unknowns. Um, and even if you could make assumptions about what the government's going to do, whether at the federal or the state level, you know, what's going to be available for ingredients? What are the prices going to be? What's going to be the level of safety that our customers feel? Are they going to want to go back out even if it's allowed? Uh, so I don't know. We've, we've got some things within the restaurant. I think we've got three separate dining rooms. So the house, we didn't really knock any walls down. It still has like the bedrooms all set up and the way, the way it was when it was a house. So we do have smaller dining rooms. Can we space adequately within, within those walls? I think we can. Is that even going to be an issue when, say, August rolls around, which is when I think we're going to open? I don't know. So I'm, I'm so desperate to get back to the kitchen. Uh, I've been doing this for 20 years, and I still love it, which is why we're sticking with it. I can't wait to get back in the kitchen, but what awaits us, I don't know. Um, it's crazy, and I don't, I don't know what to, what to predict. So are you thinking August is when you would love to start opening up if things go the right direction? I mean, would you be ready potentially to open yeah, up in August? I think so. Um, emotionally, I was ready about four months ago. Uh, but the, the renovation, the construction should be done either mid or late June. And I think feasibly August, uh, we get ready, get set up during July, hire people make sure all the equipment's working, get set up maybe by, by August, either early, mid-August. Um, that's what we're planning now. But I think as, as we've all learned over the past few months, uh, planning almost gets you nowhere just because uh, the universe has other, other things in mind. So we're thinking that, but we'll, we're going to be flexible because that's what we've had to be so far. And I think sometimes, you know, you need to work within your community there's like a power in numbers. Have you seen the uh, thing the chefs in San Francisco put together, the 50 chefs and kind no. of like outline? It's a great thing. Eater posted it last week uh, and I've shared it on our group. Basically like 50 chefs got together and laid out what their ideal plans would be for the whole restaurant community because they're looking at things like if you want to have more seating on the streets, we need to close down streets. So what department takes care of that? Yeah. If you want yes. to put in a carryout window, that's a department of health thing. And they're going to want to know how you're controlling flies and stuff. If you want to do to-go cocktails, that's, you know, yes. a, a different department. And it seems like rather than them all kind of going the same route, 50 of them got together and they put together this 41 page plan of what they felt needed to happen for them to successfully reopen. And then there's bullet points of each department. This is what the mayor needs to do. This is what the department of planning needs to do. Yep. This is zoning. And I thought it was really interesting because I see a lot of cities where that's not happening and it's like up to every chef and restaurant owner to kind of have their own plan. And I think you need to cohesively come together and say, as a community, this is what we're looking at. You know, here in Frederick, where I live, I think it would be great to shut down market street, which is the big street yeah. um, where all the restaurants are. 
But then, of course, you're going to get some pushback because that's great for restaurants that want to have seating. But then I'm sure all these places that are just carry out are then going to say, oh, well, now I don't have parking in front of my spot. So, you know, it starts to get really political and really hard. And in, in some respects, it turns to like every man for themselves, which I don't think we're going to be able to get through this if it's every man for themselves. I think it, it's really surprised me. So I, I ran errands this morning and uh, what surprises me still, and it shouldn't, is the inconsistency, um, not just not just between, say, the government at the federal level and the state and then actually even like local to some degree, but just from person to person. Um, I go into one store with I'm wearing a mask. Everyone's wearing masks. I go into another store, a pharmacy, and no one's wearing masks. There's one old woman wearing a mask. There's me. There's about six other customers and four employees, and none of them are wearing masks. And I'm not worried about that. If, if my health and safety truly hinges on everyone else being responsible, I would just wouldn't leave the house. Um, but it's just, it's so splintered and, and um, confusing that even when we get to August and might be able to open, I'm not sure, like I said, I'm not sure what the, what the rules will be and then what, what our, our customers' um, comfort zone and what their sentiment is going to be. Because that's, it really, whatever the government does, it's going to come down to how comfortable are our customers. Um, and that's kind of what we're focused on. Because I don't, I don't know coming up on an election if, if anybody at any level is going to be comfortable shutting things down, even if there's a second wave. Because, I mean, now we see numbers going back up. And places seem to be, if not oblivious, they're going to, they're going to continue on uh, on that reopening path regardless of the numbers. So two months from now, three months from now, I'm, I don't know. Um, but the San Francisco chefs, have got, that's probably a very smart idea. And I think those of us around here um, would probably benefit from, from that conversation as well. How big a food community do you have where you are? I mean, what's the restaurant scene like? So Wilson is small. Um, we were probably the only fine dining spot really here. We were a little different too. We did uh, four course pre-fee menus. We had the bed and breakfast. Excuse me. The last four years, we were pretty small. In fact, it was just my wife and I. So she's my front of the house. I'm the only one in the kitchen and we had a dishwasher and it was just the three of us and a full night for us was 24 people. It was two seatings of 12. Uh, we didn't turn tables. So if you came for the 6 PM seating and you were still sitting there at 10, it's fine. Cause also we live on the property, so we don't have a commute. We didn't have to worry about it. So, um, but restaurants in general in Wilson, we've got a couple casual fine dining, um, some great mom and pop like burger joints and the like. Uh, a couple kind of bottle shop and sandwich shops, but not much of a cohesive dining community. I mean, we know a lot of the other owners, but we're all doing such different things in such a small town that I think even if we were reopening here, I don't know that there'd be a lot of benefit to getting together to figure things out because everyone's situation is so different. Now in Greenville, where we're going, there are some other fine dining restaurants uh, run by friends of ours. And I think that's probably an important conversation to have. Uh, we're already friends with them. And I think if nothing else, if we got together, discuss some ideas, some best practices, because a few of them have been doing takeout during this time. I'm kind of looking forward to that, regardless of pandemic or no pandemic, is having, uh, having some other established fine dining and casual fine dining restaurants uh, and, and some chefs that I can call peers. Um, I'm kind of excited about that. So, But Greenville has a much larger... I think uh, dining scene than Wilson does. At least it's there's a there's a larger fine and casual fine dining scene. So we'll see. Um, the city, at least there, has been pretty 
amenable. And I think that Greenville is, is still a, a manageable size that if the restaurants got together and made some requests of the city, I think, I think they'd at least be willing to have the discussion. So I think we've got some options. Um, but like I said, it kind of depends on what the virus does and then what our customers are thinking and feeling. So yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know personally when I'm going to be comfortable going back in a restaurant and I hate saying that, like, I love going out. It's our favorite thing, but you know, if I don't feel like you can space appropriately or, you know, whatever, you can't wear a mask while you're eating. So what does that look like in a dining environment? I think you have to be very comfortable with the place that you're at. But like you said right. before, you can't control other people. I can say that I know this chef, I know this restaurant, they put these things in, a, in effect. And then if you have like someone just like up in your face, not wearing a mask, being kind of ignorant about things like, I don't know, I don't want to feel that when I go out to eat. I don't want to have stress and anxiety when I go out to eat. I'd almost rather just have a really high-end or delicious takeout meal we did that last night. So weird. My wife and I, it was our 18th wedding anniversary last yeah, night. Yeah, happy anniversary. Thank you. So, you know, we got, we got dressed up. We put on our masks. We went downtown. We just walked just because we wanted to get out of the house. And we went and yes. got takeout from one of our favorite Thai places and took it home and just yeah. ate it in the backyard. You know, my in-laws live with us, so they watched the kids inside. Yep. And I kind of snuck in and grabbed a bottle of wine. And we went out and had like our date on the back porch. And, you know, I kind of see that's what we're going to be doing for a little while. See, that's the, that's the crazy thing. So you and I had spoken before, and I know that you've got, um, you live with family that is, I guess, would be considered vulnerable. Um, we don't necessarily have that here. Not that, not that my wife and I want to be coronavirus vectors, but my wife and I talked a lot about, about how we were going to handle this, and not just with the restaurant, but in life, like with life in general. Before we started going back out to the store, we still don't go very often. We don't, we don't go out to eat. We don't see many friends. Um, but when I left, I was like, like, how are we going to approach this? How are we going to live? Are we going to continue our system with like the gloves and the mask? You know, when there are people who seemingly don't seem to care. And I feel like we almost had to have like this uh, existential conversation. Like, how do you feel if, if the odds are that you could get the virus? Like, how do you want, how do we want to live? Cause I know when I go to the store, it's going to affect my wife. And so we kind of, I kind of wanted to be on the same page, but I'm still not sure what to make of it. I mean, I, I know that me wearing a mask protects other people, but when I go to the stores and there are, I mean, folks who seem to be 60 plus might be vulnerable, not wearing a mask, not worried about it. They might be standing outside smoking with an oxygen tank. I don't know. And then, so how do you live your life if the lowest common denominator, uh, as far as the approach to the virus is pretty damn low, obviously in the restaurant, I can control stuff that goes on in the kitchen. We can, we can check our staff. We can have a protocol in the restaurant, but out in the real world, you don't have that kind of control. And so I, I'm still kind of conflicted, but I feel like I'm kind of resigned to the fact that it's going to circulate for a while and that it's possible I could get sick. And we'll probably have this conversation again before we open the restaurant. Cause like I said, I don't want to spread this around, but it's such a sneaky virus, such a small virus. And since most people seem to be doing very different things. And even some people who wear gloves and masks. Um, I've seen people eat with gloves. I've seen people get out of the grocery store with their gloves and their mask on. They get in their car and they're driving past still with their gloves on, pulling their mask down, smoking a cigarette. So I don't, it's, it seems like it's a free for all uh, right now. And I hope, I'm really hoping that it calms down a little bit before our time to open the restaurant rolls around. Cause I just, 
I don't know if there's any way to, to really stop this thing from circulating for what the next eight, 10 months. I mean, nobody knows. The restaurants, I think, do have an obligation to, we have an obligation to our customers, not only to keep ourselves safe, but to keep them safe. And I think there's just no playbook for it yet. Yeah, you know, I have my personal chef business and I actually did my first dinner uh, on Saturday night. You know, I haven't had people reaching out, but it was their anniversary and they had had me there before. So I think, you know, I've polled my customers a lot. And what I'm seeing or hearing is I think people have hired me before, know me, know, you know, my sanitation, my practices are comfortable. I don't know that I'm going to get a lot of new clients in this time, but I do think people who've hired me previously, there's a comfort level. But they ate outside. So, you know, traditionally, I used to bring all my own plates and silverware and everything in the time being. I've suspended that. So they were already on their back patio. They had put their own silverware out there, their own linen napkins that they owned, and they were waiting outside. They left the front door unlocked (laughs) for me. And, you know, when I got out of my car, I had two masks, N95, cloth over it, hat, um, and then went into the house. They had post-it notes on every drawer, plates, uh, bowls, anything I needed. And they just kind of let me do my thing. And I just got to work and started cooking in there. Um, and then plated everything up would come out. You know, I had my gloves on, I'd put the plates down on the table in front of them, step back, explain the dish, go inside, gloves come off, wash my hands, you know, then new pair of gloves go back on, make the next course and do that. And that's what they were comfortable with. You know, it was kind of weird, but it didn't feel that different from what I had been doing before, except that we were using their own stuff. And I think as we get into like nice spring days and summer days, I'm kind of hoping that I see more of that as people maybe want to eat outside. So it's like, if you could set your table before I get there and have silverware and be outside, and then I'm in the kitchen by myself, I hope that that's, you know, me getting back to normal a little bit. did, Did you run into any issues um, so I was just talking this morning with a friend of mine who has a burger joint in town. Um, the ingredients, prices of ingredients and availability. So the prices have gone up considerably, um, and availability of things that we didn't think about, um, to go containers, uh, those little, uh, non eco friendly packages of plastic silverware, all that stuff, um, barely available. Now, did you run into any of those issues when you were setting up for your dinner? So I have gone to the, here's what I hope to bring you you're going to need to be a little flexible. Like I used to spell out a menu. I'd send menu selections. People would look at it and choose what they want. And I was saying, you're going to have this salad with Serrano ham, Manchego cheese, Marcona almonds, and sherry vinaigrette. And now it's like, you're going to have this salad with a cured charcuterie, European (laughs) cheese, nuts, and vinaigrette. And like, if I get to the store and they have it, great. No Marcona, Marcona almonds, it's going to be pecans. Like if they don't have sherry vinegar, it might be a cider vinaigrette. Like everyone I think understands they're going to have to be a little flexible. If you now, like, did you do price issues? See, I play on the high end. So my dinners are like $100 a person up. Right. So it's not, you know, I have friends who are doing barbecue and they're getting in, into issues doing brisket and like yeah. what they used to charge for a brisket plate. You know, now it's like almost doubled and it's hard to go from like an $8 brisket plate to a $16 brisket plate. Yes. Because I'm playing on the higher end, I have quite a margin of error so that if filet mignon, you know, jumps from $22 a pound to $27 a pound. I don't need to change pricing. And I also find people are being very nice right now with gratuities and so forth. So I think it comes out in the wash. I think people are very appreciative of the fact that they can't go out and they're bringing me in. So I've seen some really great tips um, with with this kind of thing. Uh, Because I was working as this started, I think my last weekend was like March 14th, 15th 
and that even that weekend, like people were talking about oh, this thing's coming. Um, yeah, so I pretty much hadn't worked for almost two months. So yeah, I mean, pricing is going to be an issue. But for me, I think supplies like, yeah, I went, I went to I don't do most of my meat shopping at Aldi, but we personally shopped there. And I went there last week, and they had all the slide things for the meat case closed, like no poultry, no steak, no pork, like zero, a hundred percent out of stock on all their proteins, you know? So like if I was going there to buy meat, I'd be out of luck. So, you know, just at the retail level. And I think we're just at the beginning of this, you know, I'm hearing what they've closed like 20 processing plants. Um, There's going to be bigger shortages coming soon. And and the pricing, my last guest works for a a purveyor, um, a distribution company. And he said like a buddy of his ordered like 60 or 80 pounds of meat and was shorted all of it. No, the friend I was talking to today said that um, he has a pretty good sized order. He said he had more uh, crossed off as unavailable than he actually received. I don't know. We, we may very well be opening a vegetarian restaurant uh, <laughs> depending how things go. Um, another thing that's come up in my conversations with my wife in anticipation of opening the restaurant have been um, has been how the politics plays out and I don't know if you see anything much different up in Maryland, but I know here it's probably, it's definitely more conservative. I mean, we're out in rural North Carolina, Greenville, though it's a college town is still, is probably still going to be lean, lean more conservative, I think. And I think with that, you get people who are less worried about going out, about going out without masks, about going out to eat. So there's a def it's, it's, it seems crazy, but the politics seem to dictate how people approach the virus. And I don't know, is that the same up where you are? Uh, are you seeing that yourself? Are you seeing that with other restaurants in the area? Because I know here, I think we're probably in a good spot because if everyone is unafraid, maybe some of the restaurants will do better. But Yeah, I mean, it's very mixed. So I'm 45 miles out of both Baltimore and D.C. So Frederick, where I am, is very mixed. It used to be a rural farming community. So you see a lot of people in Frederick, especially the county, who are more conservative, Republicans, they seem to have like their view. The city, you see a lot of younger people, a lot of um, you know liberal people. Uh, so there's a real mix here. And then as you get closer down towards DC, I mean, as you're going down Route 270, you have all these major cities. So Maryland is such a mixed thing, you know. And we have a Republican governor who I think has been doing a great job, but he's been going yeah. against kind of party lines. So he's one of the few that has not been. Um, in line with the the president's kind of statements and agenda. So there's been some interesting conversation and frictions there. And then people who used to support him, I think are not supporting him because he's not opening as fast. I think he's done a great yeah. job with being conservative saying, we've got a lot of things you know, going on right now. We're yep. going to slow down opening up. And people who I think voted for him and supported him uh, based on party lines are not necessarily supporting him anymore. And we're looking at county by county because we have some counties that are like through the roof. So last Friday, they opened up the state into stage one, but then it was like, oh, and these two counties, you're not opening. Um, So we're seeing a lot of that in our area too. Montgomery and Prince George, I think are staying, staying, stay at home. I don't know. It's, we've just never been through anything like this and I don't, I don't know that anybody can make a prediction and it's tough because our livelihoods kind of depend on being able to make decisions and make a call, but there's so many moving parts before we were worried about, is the menu good enough? Uh, is it interesting? Is it, is it something different than everyone else is serving? What's our marketing look like? How's our social media feed? And now it's like, 
we think about politics and the virus and ingredient availability, and I've never had to worry about those things. So backing up a little bit, like, tell us a little bit about yourself. What's your background? I mean, you jumped right into you know, yeah. the project, but um, you, like, have you been a chef forever? What's been your background of cooking? Yeah, more or less. Um, so I grew up in the kitchen with my mom. Uh, I was an only child, as far as I know. Um, either they got it right the first time or they said that's enough of this shit and they didn't want any more kids. But mom was always in the kitchen, and so I kind of ended up there with her. And so the kitchen was always a very comfortable place. Um, and though I look back at like high school and even college dishes that I was making, and they were pretty horrid, um, I always loved the kitchen. I always loved food. I liked the aspect of food that, that brought people together. And even though mine was a small family, we always got together for dinner. We always ate together. I don't know. Food had all these – there were all these uh, levels of – uh, positivity and unification. And my mom also was a great, a great cook. So when I got out of college in Boulder, I had been cooking a little bit, but I got a job cooking professionally and loved it. And that was back in 99. Uh, and it was a chef who was one of food and wine's top 10 best new chefs. And, um, he was opening his second restaurant. I just loved it. I didn't know at the time, but I had undiagnosed ADD and, the kitchen was so comfortable for me, not just because I'd grown up uh, in it, but the professional kitchen, as you well know, is frenetic and crazy, and it fit it fit my brain perfectly. It took some years before I figured out exactly why cooking was such a good match for me. But I worked uh, I worked in Colorado for eight years, and then met my wife on a business trip, and we, we moved out here, and I started working with chef in Kinston who at the time did not have multiple restaurants or her own TV show, but I was working with Vivian Howard at chef and the farmer. And I was one of her first sous chefs. And I did that because I had taken a couple of years off of cooking, figuring it would ruin my marriage. I'm sure we've all seen that if, if the Coke and the alcohol doesn't ruin it, the hours will. And I got back into it. I, I went to journalism for two years and then I missed the cooking. And so she said, well, why don't we, why don't we see if you still love it? So I went back to work. Absolutely loved it more than ever. I got really lucky. I got a pretty good introduction to a lot of North Carolina ingredients, made some good connections around here. And I was with Vivian for about 13 months before we opened SoCo. And that was, it's been about a decade. And it's, it's kind of worked. I mean, we, we kind of made a restaurant that works for our relationship. And it wasn't always the plan that my wife would be the, the GM in the front of the house. Uh, but that worked out too. We, I think we worked together well, maybe it's not the case now, but for the longest time, we worked together better than we were married. And there were a lot of days we might not be getting along personally, but we had dinner service. Dinner service was sacred. We don't fuck with dinner service. And so we would show up and it was all business. And at the end of the night, we were kind of like, all right, are we cool? And so the almost seemingly the opposite of what a lot of other people experience is the restaurant, I think, brought us a lot closer together. But yeah, so... I guess that was a long answer to the, the question. But yeah, I started, started with my mom in the kitchen and then kind of casually took the professional cooking job and just loved it. I've never looked back. And it's been about 20 years now. And I am probably more excited now than I was when I started about getting this next phase of our restaurant going. The kind of stuff we do, a lot of people ask, it's, it's sort of upscale home cooking. Um, in some ways, it's... Uh, American home cooking with some European filters put on it. Maybe um, I try, I'm trying to get simpler as I get older and further into my career. 
But the one thing that I am really excited about with the new restaurant is I really want to focus on simplicity and execution. I've always kind of been a stickler for that stuff the whole time we've been here, which has been why I was really enjoying just being the only person in the kitchen because no one else was touching the food. So I'm going to I'm gonna have to relearn how to work with others and share and delegate. But I think I just want to kind of narrow the focus, but kind of keep what's always been the essence of SoCo for us. So I've talked about this on the show before. That's something that I learned because now as a personal chef, I have no staff. Nobody helps me. I mean, if I have a party of like 10 or plus, 10 or more, I do, but you learn editing. And it's like, that's something I think everyone should learn anyway. And we even talked about it on the very last show of, you know, all these restaurants that are these fine dining restaurants that have, you know, 20 components in a dish, they're yes. kind of screwed right now with the carryout. Yes. And it's the places doing really solid, almost like home cooked food, but elevated that I think are going right. to do well, because how do you put a million foams and sauces and all these things with where you have all this room on the plate with negative space? Like, I don't think you can do that to go. I mean, Apparently, Grant Ackett's is doing some stuff and it's coming I over wish- well. Although, although his plates are, or his dishes are looking quite different than I think most of what he was doing yeah. in Alinea. So there are ways to, to modify. But I think editing is very important. It's something that I think, especially when you're younger, you could do a little more to learn. Is like most of my customers really want almost like that Southern, you know, meat and three kind of thing. You know, like they just want either a filet or a piece of fish or whatever with a starch and a veg, you know, and it can be delicious. You can have some really great different flavors, but you don't need to have 20 different components in a dish. I know some people push back on that and don't agree with me. And I think, um, I don't know if you saw the interview between um, Questlove and Daniel Hum of 11 Madison. It was kind of interesting and it does kind of shine a light. Now I've had some great meals at, uh, for example, Joel Robichon when he was the Four Seasons in New York. And it, it's probably what I would describe as tweezer food. There were some brilliant things in those plates and they were perfectly executed. But is it sustainable when a restaurant has like four people at the pass just doing the tweezer part of a dish? And you look at some of the things that Eleven Madison was doing and the things that Daniel Hum is talking about and how he's reevaluating. And I don't know that we're going to kill off that ultra fine dining, although some people are wondering that because we're looking at Noma over in Copenhagen now, and now they're serving burgers and beer. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think there may be a place for that plated over-the-top artistry like uh, Alinea that Noma kind of used to do, but certainly 11 Madison Park. Are we going to kill that off? Probably not. But I think there are a lot of things about our industry that have been revealed to be very fragile by this pandemic. You know, people working more hours for not a lot of pay. Um, that's probably a bigger issue for the country at large, but there are probably a lot of things that we can't run as lean as we used to. Uh, We need to make sure we're taking better care of our employees, taking better care of ourselves. But that ultra high fine dining, unless you've got some wealthy, wealthy owner or investor, I don't know that that's going to be as widespread as it was before all this hit us. Um, Fortunately, that's not part of what our plan was for the new space. And I don't know that that's what people are even going to want when things open back up and when we can all get together again, we'll find out. But yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's pulled back the curtain on some aspects of this industry and a lot of it's not real pretty. And on a side note, I'm a northerner originally from uh, Massachusetts, but I <laughs> now live down here in what some people call the South. Although I know people who are really in the South don't consider Maryland and DC the South. Still south of the Mason Dixon. 
Yeah, yeah, still there. Um, but I actually learned how to make grits from Vivian Howard. I was at a Star Chef's <laughs> workshop five years, six years ago, maybe. So yep. I love grits now and, and was a big fan. So she did the Pimp My Grits workshop. And yep. she had like a whole table of all of them. You know, she had like the blue grit, she had the yellow grit, she had all kinds of stuff and then set out the table with all the toppings and we put everything together. And I feel like we put them like in, in a pincher oven to like broil them or something. Like we had yeah. it all done and we put all the toppings on there and then just put it down the conveyor and let it go. But that was the first time I'd never seen, I think like the four to one ratio either, which is yeah. kind of like my magic bullet right now for doing grits. So yeah. um, that was one of the most fun, memorable workshops I've ever taken and really learned to up my grits game after that. Yeah, no, it's um, I, one of the, my favorite things around here is when I'm able to get together with other chefs and work with them. There's always some new trick. Um, after we closed the restaurant here, I went and worked with a friend of mine in Raleigh and his place was had some similarities to ours, but it was still kind of different. I learned so much from him and just the three months I was working with him and it was just little little tips and tricks little things that he does that I I might have taken years to figure out or I never would have bothered I love working with other chefs and like I, I think like when you came down for the grits thing when I go to my friend's restaurant when you're able to collaborate I always come away with with something new and having like the grits approach having that grits recipe I mean it's so useful it's so useful and it's so much it's so much better than just throwing the water and the grits in a pan directly on the flame. And hopefully there's more of that being spread around when we come back together as an industry. I don't know. It's, it's, it's really been a shakeup for everybody, but uh, I guess we'll, we'll see where it all lands. Yeah. You know, and everyone's always asking me for tips. Like I don't really want to do a cooking show online. I've made that pretty <laughs> obvious. Like I don't feel like I'm the guy to do this and have a whole cooking class, but if I can share some of those tips, those are my favorite things. You know, I yeah. want to just say, like I've got my go-to uh, pickle recipe is like the quick pickle recipe, I think in Momofuku, you know, it's like yes. David Chang's recipe. It's like three parts sugar to one part salt or something yep. like that and toss it you in there the and put it in there with no liquid yeah. and then like rinse it off and then put your pickling stuff. That's my go-to, you know? So yeah. I'm not usually teaching people recipes. It's just very basic. Like if you're making grits, do four to one. If you're doing yeah. pickles, here's the pickle thing instead of giving them this big long recipe for a meatloaf or something. Is Volt? Still open right now or no? No, Volt has been closed a long time. Um, okay. They're not even having their uh, family meal open. So family meal, which seems like it would be better poised to do carry out, they closed yeah. almost instantly after that too. So Volt was right away. And then I don't even know if it was a week that family meal was open, but they have closed all of those restaurants. You know, it's wow. very sad. Um, it's like when you see those post-apocalyptic movies. We were walking down Market Street yesterday and we walked by Volt and the old menu from whenever they closed is still like in the window outside and it's all sun faded. Nobody even took the flowers out of the windows. They're dead. So oh. we're just walking by and there's like these intricate floral displays that have like sagged and are dying in the windows, faded menu, just like time stopped, you know, and, and they're not the only place. But yeah, how, how does Volt reopen? You know, their seating is very compact. They don't have a ton of space. I mean, they do have an outdoor area, but as it stands, their menu doesn't seem suited for a carryout. And no. if they're going to do responsible distancing, they're going to cut down their seating. <clears throat> I mean, we're already at razor thin margins, right? Especially in the finer dining establishments. Yes. How do you yes. take out 50 to 65, 70% of your seats? 
still serve that kind of food. Like, I don't know how you do that. I don't think, I don't think you can because exactly like you said, the, the margins are razor thin. And if we don't fill the restaurant and turn, turn tables, we're not going to make our rent. And I think that places like Volt, um, oftentimes they'll go into a small space like that, but they, the plan is butts in seats, turning tables, maybe every 90, they'll make the rent. Um, this is just too crazy of a pivot. And here's the other thing. And I don't know if you've got uh, a thought on this, having interviewed uh, a bunch of chefs during this pandemic, does this social distancing even matter? So if I were 65 with um, heart trouble or asthma or some, some respiratory issue, it would probably behoove me to stay home and, and play it really safe. But what's the trade-off? Um, and I'm not, I'm not going to flout the rules when we get to open our restaurant and I'm not going to put my customers at danger, but I do wonder sometimes, are we really able to do anything or is this thing just have to run its course? Um, sure. Flatten the curve. We don't want to overwhelm the hospitals, but you know, when we, when we keep people six feet apart inside, but then outdoor dining seems to be a little bit more relaxed and casual. I don't think the virus cares whether you're outside or inside. Um, have you been able to gather in talking to all these chefs how really worried they are about the virus? If they have any larger philosophical thoughts on what our obligation is uh, or even what the reality is, not just as restaurateurs, but as humans, has that come up? Yeah. I mean, I think unfortunately a lot of them are optimistic because of the business sense. You know, as I talk to people in general, to me, it seems like the people who have businesses who aren't ge generating revenue are ready to open. You know, like that's, that's what I'm hearing. Like they're saying it's kind of overblown. They're not, not that they're not worried, but they feel like if they follow practices and can set some things in place, we're ready to go. On the flip side, I sent emails to every one of my existing customers and pulled people on Facebook and I'm universally hearing from people. They are scared to go back out to restaurants. So I think it's very easy as an owner to say, yeah, I'm comfortable opening. Here's our plan. Here's what we're going to do. But I think they really need to be talking to their customers. If you have a restaurant that has an email list, blast everyone and just very easily say, at the rate things are going, when do you see coming back to a restaurant? And what are some things that you're expecting to see? You know, it's things like SurfSafe right now has free online courses for, you know, COVID uh, policies. Like, I yep. think everyone should go take those. And then you've at least got this thing to say, I'm doing the best I can. I went online, I took three courses on best practices for takeout, delivery, and you know, <clears throat> in-restaurant sanitation. I think people are going to look for those kind of things, but I think you need to be reaching out directly to your customer base and saying, when are you foreseeably going to put your butt back in a seat? Because that's what I did with my business. I said, right. when are you going to hire me to come back in your house? Some people told me August at the earliest. That's what right. I've heard from some people. They would not even have me in their house until August. And that's me, one person coming into their house. When is that person going to feel comfortable going to a restaurant with 50 other people in there? I don't know. And I think you need to talk to your customers and find that out. And I don't know that enough people are doing that. And then I think there's still so much we don't know. And I try not to read everything, but you hear these stories about <laughs> the people in their thirties and forties who are having strokes that right. this is causing. 
you know, so you think, oh, it's all these old people. And then you hear all these stories about this guy who was 35 years old and had a stroke at home. And then they found out it was something that got in and caused a blood clot in his brain and he right. died. And I right. saw something on Facebook the other day about some kid. And what was the headline? Like, it felt like his veins were on fire. Yeah, like, it's, it's changing in different demographics. So I just don't think we know. I mean, we're dealing with something that's like six months old. Like, we don't know. It's all hypothesis. It's all best guess. Even the CDC said at the beginning, you don't need to wear a mask. It doesn't matter. And now that's their stance. So it's learning on the fly and changing. And I think, you know, we're going to do the best we can to make guesses and hopefully educated guesses, but uh, it's going to be, I think it's going to be long. I do think, I do think you hit on that. It comes down, it's going to come down to the perception of our customers. We don't know enough about the virus, but our customers comfort or fear is going to dictate what they do. Ultimately, it's going to dictate what our revenue is, depending on what model we open up with. I don't know. I, I, I guess I keep coming back to that. It just shocks me how difficult it is to predict where all this is going. But I think on the positive side of it, um, we're so far into this restaurant project now, we have to open it somehow, some way. And that, to me, is actually a comfort because I don't know what the situation is going to be, but I know that I'm going to get to cook. <laughs> so... I'm looking forward to that, even if I don't seem to know anything else um, about what's going to happen. How's your food translate to carryout? Like, are you thinking about that? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's not ideal for a launch, but could you open doing take homes? Yeah, I would. I would like to avoid that if I can, but it might not be possible. Um, I'd rather people's first taste of us in the new spot not be takeout. But reality being what it is, we do have a lot of people that already know us. Uh, in fact, we're going to Greenville because <clears throat> that's where we pulled a lot of our customers from. Uh, Greenville, Raleigh, uh, a little north and south of here, like Rocky Mount, Goldsboro. Um, we would see some people from Virginia and South Carolina. But I'm not against doing takeout. I think our menu would translate fine. Um, and I'm, I'm pretty flexible and kind of back to the ADD thing. There was a while where I was changing my four course prefee menu every two weeks, and it, that was a little crazy. I went I went and stuck things for a month uh, after that. But I'm fine if we need to if we need to make some changes, as long as to me the, as long as the food is executed, as long as these dishes they do translate. Like you said, not not a pile of foams and stuff that's going to steam or wilt on the way home. But yeah, I think I think our stuff will will translate pretty well. And if it doesn't, then I'll change it. Um, I'm interested in places that are doing kind of make it at home, you know, sending you with raw products. I don't know what the market is for that, but let's say, you know, shrimp and grits, you have access to better grits than probably most people at the grocery store and like high quality shrimp. Like what if you, you know, packaged it up and gave them a cup of grits and the recipe and whether it's cream or stock or whatever. And then the shrimp, like I'm just thinking of that kind of thing. Like people still have to cook, but could you, rather than making a dish and sending them home with it, where it's going to get cold and the grits are going to get lumpy, uh, you know, not necessarily for you, but I'm just interested in places the one that are thing, kind of basically doing like a blue apron, but you're picking up yes. at a local restaurant instead of having it mail. I will say for, for two years, um, we actually did home delivery of prepared food here. And uh, we were the first in the state to get approved for reduced oxygen packaging uh, because probably 75% of the meals that we sent home with people were vac sealed, chamber vacuum sealed in four meal bags. And um, almost all of it was already cooked. They just needed to reheat it. And it could be as simple as dropping the bag in a pot of simmering water 
every once in a while we would do things in like foil containers, like a, a family sized vegetarian lasagna that would go in the oven. But for the most part, it was all ready to go. Um, we would do some grocery stuff and sell like eggs from our own chickens or pork products from the farm down the road. But for the most part, our stuff was ready to go. And I think I would probably lean that direction. Um, so I think at the same time, people are still wanting, if they're patronizing a place, I think they still want the chef's input and the chef's perspective and the chef's technique. And so I would probably try to give them stuff that they could either reheat or, or finish cooking that was still something that, that I had made or that I and my kitchen staff had made. So I think we can do that. I mean, after two years of doing the home delivery stuff, I think we know a little bit about what, what would work in that direction. And it's not a replacement for the dining uh, in the restaurant and never will be. There's nothing like getting that perfectly grilled steak on the plate, sending it out to the dining room. The potatoes are hot. The mood, you've got music playing. You've got the atmosphere of your restaurant. Uh, there's no substitute for that. But I think if we had to do takeout, I think I think we, we would absolutely draw on the home delivery stuff we did for a couple of years. So we'll, we'll do whatever it takes. Um, but I, I am thirsting like everybody else is to get back to the dining in times that we had just a few short months ago. How many seats ideally is your place going to be? Uh, it's going to be about the same as we were here when we downsized. Uh, we'll have, if you include the bar seats, we'll be at about 50, 45 or 50. So we'll have two former bedrooms downstairs that should seat about 16 each in normal circumstances. And then we'll have eight seats at the bar. We are working on another bedroom upstairs that could be a private dining for, say, a group of 10 or 12. Again, now I think we'd have to keep it 10 or, 10 or fewer. But uh, And we've got at, outside seating. So if I had a bigger than uh, anticipated kitchen staff and we really wanted to serve lots of people, I think we could do maybe as many as 60. I think I'd rather keep it smaller. I think I'd like to be in the in the in the forty range. I still like having the control over the dishes. I still like being able to spend that extra moment with the plates and not be shoving everything into the past because you've got you know seventy five butts in seats and you know there's going to be a full maybe another turn and a half. I don't enjoy that, but I know we got to do what we got to do to pay the bills. But I think I'd like to keep it in the forty forty range, give or take. Have you tried cooking in a mask yet and cooking without tasting your food? Because that was the first <laughs> challenge. We, I talked about it a little before I went back to work, but it was put into practice this past Saturday, you know, cooking at someone's house. Um, I didn't do a lot of tasting. I mean, you know, if you're cooking dishes you've made before, I think intuitively right. you have some idea. Again, going back to Grant Ackett's, I mean, this guy had like no taste in his mouth for right. from cancer and stuff. And yep. a lot of it just comes back to knowing but that was super frustrating for me is, you know, I'm making a quick pan sauce and it's like you throw a pinch of salt and I'm hoping that it wasn't too much or that it wasn't too little and you're just kind of going with it. You know, with customers eating outside, I felt comfortable taking it off, but they were, they were definitely people who wanted me there wearing a mask. So it wasn't like they were like, oh, no problem. Just take off your mask whenever you want. So trying to be respectful of them, it's just kind of like, learning how to taste and season your food when you're not trying it as often as you would. So I'm going to, I'm going to assume let's just, let's take you out of the um, at home chef position and put you in a closed kitchen in a professional, like in a full restaurant. Are you going to wear the mask in the kitchen? I mean, we all see the the pictures of masked uh, chefs and cooks on social media. Are they really doing that? I understand that people can be asymptomatic and you could be spreading it. Granted, 
if you cough on a steak and then put it on the grill, you're probably going to kill whatever's on the outside. I'm not saying that's my starting point. But do we really think that all the people in the kitchens are wearing masks while they're cooking, especially in a closed kitchen? Um, if there are even any open kitchens, well, there aren't any these days anyway, but what's going to be the practice moving forward? I get that if you have a cough or symptoms, you probably shouldn't be at work anyway. But if you're asymptomatic and you're wearing your mask, what's the trade-off? You're, maybe you're, you're being safer, but maybe your food sucks now. What do you do? That's a good question. But I mean, if we're saying that that is the best way to reduce it and you can have no symptoms for two weeks and be spreading this, I mean, just look at something like the White House. How many people there have been like, I'm not wearing yeah. a mask. And then next thing you know, everyone's starting to catch this thing. Like if you have a cook who comes in and he's asymptomatic and you're all in the kitchen cooking for 12 hours a day, you know, for the first three days and he's got it and now you've all got it. Um, and I think, you know, even if you have a closed kitchen, there are chances that you're going to see customers. And I think customers okay. are going to want to yeah. see that. Um, yes. But that is an interesting, I've had that conversation with some people. Some people have said, you know, when we're out in front of uh, customers, we're wearing them, but my cooks don't like wearing them back of the house. I don't mind wearing them. I just, for me, when, when people, when customers would ask like, why, why is your guys food so good? I said, well, two things. Um, well, maybe three. The first, I'm lucky. I get to spend all day cooking. I love that. And most home cooks don't have that luxury. And when you do that for 10, 20 years, you learn some things. But I've had the luxury of time in, in having this place and the places I've worked before. Uh, but also, I say, always taste your food. If you don't do anything else, taste it. You'll know immediately if it sucks. And that's going to be probably, that's, that might be the biggest concession if we need to cook with masks. I don't know. I mean, honestly, if someone said, are you going to do that? If I have to, I will. But I'm going to have to find some workaround, some tasting closet. Maybe I take this, I take my little plastic spoon of sauce and I run in the closet and then I quick and I taste. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I'm not going to be very comfortable cooking if I can't taste the food. So I'm, I'll have to figure something out, but we'll do what we have to do to keep the customer safe. Yeah, agreed. And I asked this question again on Facebook a couple of weeks ago and some people answered seriously and some kind of like jokingly. I'm like, no, I'm serious because there's a lot of restaurants, especially in DC, like very fine dining restaurants that are still open. I know they have multiple people in the kitchen to execute this food they're doing. I'm just curious, like, what are they doing there? If you're, you know, I'm not gonna call it any restaurants, but if you're one of these restaurants that's still open and you have like six or seven cooks, are you guys wearing them in the kitchen? And if so, what are you doing? And not everyone's talking about it because I think I Going out on a limb, I'd say a lot of places, probably the cooks in the kitchen aren't wearing them, especially if they don't have customers coming in and they're just closed for takeout. I would agree. Um, so I don't think a lot of people want to go on record talking about that. It's a major concession. I think most chefs tasting the food is, you know, it's, it's, it's such an important part of what we do because a lot of what we do comes from uh, not just our imaginations, but from our palates. I suck at a lot of things, but I can, I, I'm usually a pretty good taster of food and that's going to be a that's, that might be the biggest issue if we have to wear masks in the kitchen. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I guess we'll all figure it out. And I think, again, sharing best practices. I, as this yeah. thing evolves, I think staying in contact with chefs. I do a lot of um, kind of like Zoom meetups with other chefs or just talking on social media and throwing these questions out there. I mean, there's no reason why you shouldn't just throw it out there and say, hey, what are you guys doing? And just kind of see what everyone's into. Like, I love reading that. There's so many people, I think, way smarter than me who have figured some of this out and I'm following along to see what they're doing and then just trying to share those things as much as I can, uh, can do that. Yeah. I, 
I don't know, unprecedented times, no playbook. And it's crazy that, that the restaurant industry was, was one of the ones obviously hit the hardest, like the first to be shut down along with, you know, concerts and gyms and other places. But I don't know. I don't, and I feel like we got to figure this out because I don't think this is going to be the last time in our lifetimes that we see something like this. Um, and we're going to need to, we need, need to become experts at, at uh, safety measures and at pivoting between uh, dine in and takeout, I think. Yeah, I really miss live music. And I'm so glad I went to a show. It was like the 5th or 6th of March. And even then things were getting sketchy. And my wife said, are you really going to go to the show in DC? I'm like, yeah, it's fine. Like, I'm really glad I went to that show because I've had two shows this spring that have already been canceled. One that's not even going to be rescheduled. I got my money back and I'm looking, my son is going to be eight this summer. And for his birthday, I already got him tickets to a show. And it's, I think it's like August 31st. And I don't know, like, even if it goes on, like, I don't know that we're going to go to this venue that has, I think it's going to sell out at like 7,000 people or something like that. Like the Anthem in DC or whatever, like huge venue with people like bumper to bumper. I don't know that we're going to go to that show, but I shouldn't have told them I got tickets. I was super excited and said, early birthday <laughs> present, I got you these tickets. And now every day is like, is that show still happening? I'm like, uh, I wish we didn't talk about that. It's, it's a lot of these unknowns, but I think at the end of the day, I think the resourcefulness, uh, the tenacity of the restaurant industry, um, most of the restaurants, uh, not everyone's going to make it, but I think what makes the great restaurants great and a lot of the great chefs and great cooks great is probably what's going to get us through some of this. Um, I think it's going to strip away some of the some of the restaurants that were on the edge, maybe some of the chefs and owners that weren't as serious as they could have been or people that were on the fence. I know some restaurants uh, back where I'm from in Denver, some of them were looking at moving or rebranding and they've just they just shuttered. They just closed completely. But I think there are a lot of restaurants. It's going to be ugly uh, for a little while, but I think a lot of the good places are going to come back because what made them good is that that dedication the planning, the approach, the the love of you know serving people. I think a lot of the important restaurants, most of us, I think will will be back. So, the nature of the industry, I think, gives me a little bit of hope. Yeah, I was really sad to see Momofuku in DC closed. Yes, and the Source closed. I mean, those were big things. And then David Chang closed another one of his DC. places in in New York and is like moving. They, they, they consolidated. Yeah. I think are and. Yeah, he, he closed, is it Nishi, which was like his Italian yep. place that closed. And then they moved Sambar into the space with one of the other restaurants and yes. then closed DC down. For me, the same thing, like doing a two-person party isn't financially great for me. Like I make my money as I get into parties of eight and 10. So right now you and your wife hire me because you're comfortable with that, <laughs> but you're not having a dinner party. So how worth it is it for me to go do a dinner party for two at $100 a head? That's $200 before cost. So let's back out 30% in costs. And then the time of going to the shopping, like it's, it was never really worth it for me to do dinners for two. Yeah. Um, so it's almost like not until we start getting back into the six to 12 or six to 15, that it's going to be worth it financially and time-wise for me to, to work. Yeah. Like, so looking at how do I adapt or do I adapt or do I just, take the time and put the energy into something else. But like, you know, we've got these deadlines with the renovation uh, commitments. Obviously we were fully committed to the project before this hit, but I mean, it was, it was too late. We passed the point of no return. So we've got to make some, some judgment calls. Um, But yeah, there's a good portion of our future that is dependent on this industry rallying. Um, And I do think it will. I mean, I, people have to eat. 
people are going to be in the mood to eat. I think there's probably going to be a second wave with the virus. I think that people generally are probably going to just keep on moving forward. All the details, I'm not sure, but I, I, I still feel pretty good about our industry uh, for most of the restaurants anyway. I think this is probably going to bring about some, hopefully it brings about some much needed changes to the industry. I think that, you know, restaurants that maybe aren't so ultra fine dining, uh, we need to be focusing on, I don't know, more sustainable practices, better, better pay for the workers. One thing I will say is that when we look at what we're doing with the, with the future location of SoCo is one thing that's always been discussed is a livable wage, a living wage and uh, benefits. I think it's something that is sorely lacking. And we talked a lot about mental health in our industry, you know, the past year or two, um, especially after losing some of the chefs and writers and restaurateurs, that we've got to take care of ourselves and we've got to take care of our people. And I don't know, I don't think that minimum wage pay is ethical. And I don't think it's, it's just the restaurant industry. I think it's across the board at so many different places. Uh, it's just not sustainable. And I know that people want cheap food and affordable food and restaurateurs want more profit than outlay. But I think that the health of the industry is going to rely on, on restaurants being able to put in a little bit more, invest a little bit more in themselves and in their employees. I know it's easier said than done, but it's at least for us been part of our plan for the entire time. So better pay and a better wage. And I think that if you, if you do that, and I don't, I'm not going to necessarily say that's, that karma is a thing, but I think that if you're, if you're ethically approaching your restaurant, if you're putting love into your food, if you're taking care of your employees and your guests, I think the universe, when it can, will look out for you. And so I'm, I'm hoping that that'll, that'll also get us through. But I think, I think our industry is going to have to examine uh, how it takes care of itself and its employees. And I think this fragile, razor-thin margin, not just financially, but, but emotionally or even metaphysically, I think we're going to have to examine all that. Yeah, it'll be interesting, you know, the people who didn't treat their employees right uh, before this, and then depending on how they treat them as we're going through this, are you going to have employees, are you the kind of boss who's going to get cooks back when this is all over? If you were yes. not the best to work for, and then, you know, you furlough all your employees, um, I think it goes around, and there are some people who are going to be out of luck because the people are going to go find another job. Yes, there is, if we get back to opening up, there will be no shortage of employees looking for jobs, but they may not be looking back at the same places. I don't know. Or don't the know. same industry. True. Although I don't know what the hell else I would do if I couldn't cook. I don't know. Strip. I don't know. I'd, I'd, I'd probably be paid to keep my clothes on. I've never understood people. And I've had cooks work for me. And it's like, why, why? Like people who literally hated food, like they needed a job and it could have been any job. Yeah. And, I, and I don't normally like to hire those people. But every once in a while, you get one who's really good. They hate it. They hate cooking. They hate the lifestyle, yeah. but they're really good at it. But I'm always telling them like, oh, you're a great photographer. Like, you should probably go do that. Like, <laughs> I know you need some money, but go do something that you really enjoy because this is a terrible industry to be in if you hate it. It's yeah. that curse, right? This, this could have an effect on the restaurant industry, kind of like um, Katrina did on New Orleans. How you saw such a huge number of people leaving and never returning. I don't know. Um, we'll probably know in a few months, maybe about the time that this airs, uh, about the time that we get open. Maybe, we'll, hopefully, we know something more. But yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see what we find on the other side. Yeah, and I want to have you back on the show once you're open. Like I've told everyone, you know, I love I loved having the show and talking to chefs about their business that's been open and doing well and kind of like almost being like an ad for your business. And now all these people are coming on like, 
oh, I don't know, I'm out of business. Um, <laughs> I'll let you know when it opens. So we're kind of, kind of hopefully do like a, where are they now follow up um, six months, <laughs> a year from now, once you get going. Cause I want to see, you know, what you ended up doing and how the restaurant's going and, and what you've learned from it. And, you know, what came to pass from our discussion or was it all nonsense and you're nowhere near where we thought we were going to be? You know, I think it'll be I, interesting. I got to follow my heart and I love being in the kitchen and that's, that's about all I've got. Um, I'm hoping it leads us to a good place, but I'll be, I'll be more than glad to tell you what things went well and where we fell on our faces. Hopefully that's a minimal part of it. <laughs> we'll see. Well, thanks so much. I've enjoyed having you. For all of our listeners, this was the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. As always, you can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org and on all social media platforms. And if you are not aware, we have a Chefs Without Restaurants Facebook group. And right now we're having a lot of these discussions there. So if you're a chef and you want to follow all the chefs and what they're doing and get links to all these articles and resources, uh, come and join and I'll approve you. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much.